Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 30 of the Zoomer Sports Radio. And as always, I'm Andrew, and today I'm joined by a special guest. Uh, he is a MLB outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds, USA baseball player, former Texas Longhorn, alumni of St. Rita of Cassia High School in Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mark Payton. What's up, guys? How you doing? Thanks, thanks for coming on, Mark. Uh, obviously, uh, I assume you have a busy offseason going into the 2021 season, so thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me. And uh, I want to start this up. Mark, uh, do you actually know how we originally met? Yeah, no, for sure. So um, crazy story. So one offseason, um, my trainer at the time, we were looking for a gym. Um, I had a really good friend that said he was working at a gym, new gym, um, wasn't very busy at the time out. in I think I believe it was Downers Grove area and yeah, uh, Downers Grove Lombard area. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we decided to use that, that facility for our off season workouts, me and a couple other pro guys with our trainer um, and you're old in there. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of cool. It's, uh, you know, it's quite some time ago, maybe four or five years ago. Um, we've kept in touch. Um, I think, you know, you were probably seventh grade. I was probably 24. Yeah, you were in the Yankee system. Then. I was still with the Yankees at the time. Um, you know, obviously two teams, two teams away from that now. And, yeah. um, you know, times went fast and, uh, but definitely was a, you know, I remember that off season, um, you know, especially making that's a, that's a 40 minute drive from where I'm at. And, uh, but yeah, no, I definitely remember meeting you and, and, you know, working out together and it was a, it was a good off season. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I mean, I believe uh the trainer was Bubba. Bubba? Yeah, Bubba. Yeah. So we're still good friends too. We talk every day, um, almost every day, and uh he's a great guy. Yeah, I mean, uh what's he up doing? Is he still playing? Because he was on the Windy City Thunderbolts back then. Uh yeah, so he was playing. Now he's I, I believe he's he's coaching at uh at Morton Community College, um, trying to work his way up the ranks. And uh, I know he spent some years coaching at St. Xavier. Um, trying to work his way up and, you know, hopefully he gets into, uh, you know, the division one world at some point. Yeah. And then I want to start with, uh, basically, uh, how, uh, from like your younger days up to the MLB. So growing up, like who is your biggest influence in life? Like not only, I mean, on and off the baseball field, like who was your biggest role model, like not only baseball player and like, who'd you idolize in the MLB? So like, it could be anyone on or off the field, any MLB player. For sure. So, I mean, obviously my biggest idol was my dad. I wanted to just follow his footsteps and um, with the way he treats people and, and the things he does for other people and um, just being a good person, you know, whether it's on the baseball field, off the baseball field, just doing what you can to help other people. And um, so, you know, for sure, that was my biggest idol um, growing up and, and to this day still is. Um, you know, I think if you had to take a favorite baseball player growing up, um, I mean, obviously, Cal Ripken playing every day. Not many guys are able to play as many games in a row as he did. I, I, I can't remember the number, but I think it was in the 2000s, somewhere 2,164 maybe. Um, I'm not sure. But uh, other than that, I think Dustin Pedroia probably was a, was a huge influence, just being a smaller guy and getting the, you know, the most potent, max potential um, out of his body um, at the big league level um, and realizing you know, if he can do that at 5'7 or 5'6, whatever he may be, you know, I can do that at the same height. Um, so that was, uh, you know, just watching him play and how hard he plays and how, you know, the fans appreciated the way he played, um, you know, his whole career really kind of, you know, 
gave me hope at a young age that like, Hey, you can do this at your, at your size. Oh, Pedroia, great pick. I mean, the man, he's still, his body might not want it, but he is still on the roster every year, still trying to get it. He's just grinding. And that's just awesome. I mean, Pedroia, no doubt hall of famer. I think. I believe so too. I mean, he would definitely get in before Cano, but (laughs) (laughs) Pedroia just ultimate competitor. He's a gamer. Pedroia is just one of the, obviously he could, he's in the ranking for all-time second basemen with like Ryan Sandberg, Joe Morgan, Joe Morgan, Rod Carew. Just he's in that conversation for sure. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, it's just like, um, you know, you, you have your super talented guys that, you know, there's one, one guy every five or six years that comes along, you know, your Bryce Harper's, your Mike Trout's, your Fernando Tatis's, your, you know, and then on the pitching side, your Scherzer's and Strasburg's and Bowers and DeGrom's like you have these guys that, that are, that are, you know, the best in the world at what they do. And, you know, we look up to those guys still, I still look up to those guys, but I know I'll never be those guys because, you know, they're just gifted more. They're just more gifted than I am. So for me to, to try to do what Mike Trout does as an outfielder, it's just not going to happen. But me watching Dustin Pedroia and how he maxes, like I said, he, he gets the most potential out of what he can do. And the baseball world sees that, you know, or the Adam Eaton's of the world who, you know, same thing, not the biggest guy in the world, but the guy gets, you know, he's in the lineup every day, every year when he's healthy, you know, and he's going to have a long big league career and like guys like that for me to look up to, um, you know, really drives me to, to try to do what they're doing just because of, not just because of their size, but I believe they play the game the right way. Um, you know, when they don't have the tools like the Trouts and the Harpers and the Mookie Betts of the world, where those guys are going to go out and hit, you know, 310, 320 with 30, 35 homers, you know, that's tough for us little guys to do. Um, so we got to do the little things the right way. And I think um, for, you know, for me personally to try to, you know, match up my game with a guy of similar stature or similar tools as I have um, and how those guys really get the most out of what they have, you know, really, you know, kind of jumps me to try to do what they do. Yeah. I think you've said it perfectly. And then I'm going to shift over into the, your high school days. Obviously you played at St. Rita and you played for Cangelosi Sparks, who is funny. I played them this year. I was the starting pitcher and I actually hit the first two guys to start the game. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Uh, first batter. I have him down. Oh, two. I spike a curveball into his foot. Oh no. Yeah. So it was just, I mean, I actually didn't pitch terrible that day, but it wasn't my day. So yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I grew up and, you know, I was always fortunate at a young age to have my, like I told you, my dad was my idol and he was, he was a coach and he was surrounded by two or three other good coaches throughout my sparks, uh, career, basically from the time I was nine till 18. Um, we were basically all intact, um, together from, you know, for those nine years, 10 years. And, uh, you know, you know, between that and just watching the games on TV and watching other kids play um, and always kind of just being around the game and being a student of the game, um, you know, really helped me kind of understand and have a good baseball sense and a good baseball IQ. And, um, you know, but the Sparks, it was great. I mean, obviously jump started me to get into St. Rita High School and, and play there and, and get, get on the varsity team as a freshman. Um you know, and from there, just, you know, I wish, you know, looking back, I still wish I would have won a state championship. It still haunts me at night, losing two, 
you know, two, two state final games and one time in the semifinals. So, I mean, we were downstate three, three out of my four years and not winning a state championship still haunts me to this day. Um, even after college and after playing in the big leagues, I still wish I would want a state championship, but uh, definitely had a great, great experience, you know, four years at St. Rita, um, all boys private high school in the city, um, you know, the camaraderie and the family atmosphere that that school creates. Um, you know, I wish a lot of people can really experience that. Yeah. And then what, what sucks even more is uh, like guys, my age losing that season due to COVID it's just really tough. Like, I don't know how you would go through that, especially with your team competing for state championships every year. Like what would, what would you have done in that high school situation? Oh man, that's, that's tough because, you know, at the end of the day, you can only control what you can control. And if somebody puts on a block, you know, a stoppage to your season and, you know, I feel terrible for the seniors um, that didn't get a chance to play their last season. Um, you know, basically from the time you're a freshman, something you really look forward to is your senior season, uh, whether it may be football, basketball, baseball, you know, that senior season in, in high school is something uh, people remember, you know, when you're in that senior class. And so I feel absolutely terrible for those guys, you know, and even every age, I feel terrible because um, I believe the world needs sports. And, um, you know, I think it gives a sense of peace. Um to everybody when they you know whether it's you turn on a Friday night you know you're sitting at home Friday night and you see a high school football game on or you know the you know the one or two games a year that they throw a high school baseball game on TV and I think um, you know for guys not to get able to do that because it was out of their hands uh, really stinks and and it's a terrible thing and um, you know I hope that you know they can figure it out and get a full season in this year um, not only just not only for recruiting purposes or for guys to play at the next level, but just for, for guys to be out there and, and play the game of baseball. Um, you don't know when it's going to be your last day. There's a lot of seniors that they didn't know that their last game, their junior season was the last time they would ever play a baseball game. And I think uh, when you put that in perspective, I think it really stinks for the guys that got that taken off their plate. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of the quote from Moneyball by Billy being like, everyone's told they can no longer play the kid's game. It's some eight teams. 18 summit 40 and right and that quote like sticks to me I think it should stick with every ball player as they go on and then you're talking about the recruiting process like can you go over like how you got recruited into uh Texas and like what other options like what other colleges were uh, offering you yeah for sure so um you know I uh it, it started young I mean when I was going through it um you know they really had strict rules on you know basically the timing when schools can talk to you, when they can't talk to you, how they can communicate with you. Um, I'm not exactly sure of all the rules now. I do know that now guys are really committing, you know, as freshmen, sophomore, like super early. Um, but for me, it was a little different. I mean, so the the fall season, the fall baseball season was extremely important for us here in, in the Midwest, uh, just because college schools are not coming out during the spring high school season or they're, you know, basically the, the first half of a summer season, just because they're, they're playing. So the back half of the summer and the fall were very, very important for, for people in the Midwest that played fall ball. Um, and we used to do basically, I don't want to call them showcases, but we would do almost like a showcase tournament where we would play three or four other really quality teams um, at specific colleges, whether it be Louisville or Illinois or Purdue or Northwestern, um, 
you know, we would play at Indiana and there'd be three or four colleges out there or whatever the case. Um, so that was kind of how the recruiting started, you know, and then we did some, you know, maybe I did, I don't know, maybe four showcases in my whole life. Um, they weren't as big as they are now. Um, but every year, um, I was very lucky to go down to play in the world wood bat down in Jupiter every October from the time I was a freshman till senior. Um, for me, that was huge because I was playing against guys four years older than me, um, right off, right out of the gate. And, you know, I, what I believe is the best tournament in all of, all of baseball for high school kids. Um, and there's every school there, every pro scout is there. Um, everything you can think of, it's a, it's a crazy environment, but so I was lucky to go there four times and, um, you know, just being able to compete with those guys, I think at a young age, um, showed me that I could play at a college level. Um, you know, and I was fortunate to get recruited by, you know, uh, quite a bit of, uh, you know, the amount of schools that I was recruited by was, um, there were quite a bit of them, but, you know, at the end of the day, I picked Texas. Um, I have a crazy recruiting story. If you want me to get into that, but, I'm, I'm, I'd love if you got into it. Okay, cool. So, you know, my dad played at Illinois. Um, when I was a little kid, I never knew I would have a chance to play college baseball. And, you know, Illinois recruited me. They were the first school to get on me. Um, and I was really excited to, you know, possibly play there. Um, that, you know, so they kind of gave me a scholarship offer. Um, and a couple, you know, I was thinking on it. My parents told me, hey, think on it. Don't, don't say yes right away. Just think. A couple of days later, I get a couple you know, at the time there were, most of it was all male, um, you know, just recruiting questionnaires and stuff. And I started getting some recruiting questionnaires from really big schools. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe let's think about this. Let's wait a little bit and see what happens. And, um, you know, it, I don't remember how it happened, but somehow I called somehow South Carolina wanted me to contact them. South the Carolina. That, that's, uh, that's like, they're yeah. one of the best every year. Yeah. So that made me think, not saying Illinois is, is a below step at any mean, but um, when I could, when I knew, you know, schools like that had a chance to come and recruit me, I'm like, okay, well, I get to be outside all year round. I get to play in a really, really good conference where I think I might make a bigger jump to help me, you know, play professional baseball after college. Um, so I go on a visit to South Carolina and absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. So I'm like, all right, well, they're my number one now. Okay. And then I start getting some recruiting letters from other colleges. And then all of a sudden Arizona state comes out. So we go down to Arizona state and they become my number one. And what happens is, is I end up committing there. So I commit to Arizona state as, as a junior really early in my junior school year. Um, and I absolutely fall in love with it. Full on sun double, like absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, that's where Pedroia went too. Yeah, it was it was perfect. It was Pedroia was there. I mean, Ian Kinsler was there for a short amount of time. There was a kid from Andre Joliet. Ethier, I think, was there. Yeah, there was a ton of guys there. Um, you know, there was a kid from Joliet that was there when I committed, named John Rudiger. He was an outfielder. He's from Joliet. Um, he was there. Cole Calhoun was there. Um, so they had some. You know, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and then, so we'll fast forward my senior year. Still committed to Arizona State. Um, National Signing Day comes, I believe it's the first or second Tuesday every year in November. Um, and I signed my letter of intent to go to Arizona State. Um, there was some, some school issues happen, not, not personal school issues, but issues that happened at Arizona State, uh, which put the baseball team in jeopardy 
um, my senior year, they didn't know what was going to happen for the next couple of years of that program. Um, and the NCAA granted me my release in probably March of my senior year. So I would have been, so I'm stuck, you know, I wasn't stuck, but I was with Arizona state um, wondering what was going to happen as a senior in high school in November, December, January, March comes around the NCAA gives my release. Um, and we graduate, you know, I'm getting ready for my high school season. I don't have time to go on visits anywhere else. Um, you know, I find a trip, you know, find schools, find out, I get my release from the NCAA are able to contact me at this point. Um, and I hear from, you know, a couple of Notre Dame and Louisville and then Texas comes and we go down to Texas and I had graduated high school already. I finished my high school season. Um, I had just been drafted by the twins and I had no college to go to, but Texas comes calling and says, Hey, we had a scholarship open up because one of your teammates who at the time in summer baseball for the Sparks was Mike fulton was picked in the first round by the Braves or no, the Astros. I can't remember if it was the Astros or Braves um, who ended up signing. So Texas had a scholarship open up and we went down there. I took a visit. We walked around the campus, um, committed literally on the spot, which I don't recommend anybody committing on the spot ever just because you need to think about things. Um, but I, I knew it was the right place. And uh, it was probably the greatest decision I'd made um, to this day. Yeah, I mean, like I see you, you've been, you were drafted three times uh, by the twins, uh, obviously the Yankees and I believe the Indians. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what went through your mind? Like an MLB, MLB team is interested in me. Should I not even go to college? Should I leave college a season early or should I, what made you stay at Texas for that fourth year? Okay. So the, that was, um, that was a really tough decision. Um, the one, you know, out of high school, it was, it wasn't a terribly hard decision um, just with how everything played out. Um, but that junior year when I got taken by the Indians, um, that was very, very tough to turn down. Um, my freshman year at Texas, we went to Omaha my sophomore and junior years, we were not very good. We were, we were a very good team. We never came together. We never clicked at the right time. Um, so we had two really down years. And for me, I didn't want to leave that school on a bad note. Um, and I think at the end of the day, I wanted to leave that place better than when I got there. And I got there and we went to Omaha. So my goal was, you know, there was one other, we had a pitcher that I came in with, the same situation happened. He got drafted as a junior. Um, we kind of talked to each other. We knew the situation, what was going to happen senior year, what our team was going to look like. Um, kind of all the ins and outs of, you know, like, hey, can can we turn this program back around and get it back to where it needs to be? Or, you know, is this is this too far-fetched and, you know, we're just out of time? Um, we went back to school, to both of us. Um, and probably the greatest decision ever. We got back to Omaha that year. And... Um, you know, very grateful. We put together a really good, good Omaha run too. Um, something, you know, our, we were not the most talented team by any means in our conference. Um, when we got to super regionals and regional or regionals and super regionals, we, we played as a team. We got there, we got to Omaha. We were definitely not the most talented team and we were one run away from getting to a national championship game. 
Um, but I mean, just being able to go there, go back as a senior and being able to get back to where, you know, that the program at Texas belongs, I, that, that program belongs to be a top 10 baseball program every year in my eyes. And for me to leave it, you know, basically as a junior going one game of over 500 was not okay. Um, but it was tough not to start my pro career um, a year earlier, but I know to this day, people ask me all the time. I know I made the right decision. Yeah, I've been to Omaha as a 12-year-old for one of the youth tournaments. I think it was awesome. I actually went the year uh, Vanderbilt won it all with a very talented team, Dansby Swanson, Walker Bueller, Carson Fulmer, Tyler Beatty. All these guys have been in the majors. And not Omaha, it's just it's such of a unique, one-of-a-kind experience. It's like college sports, I just feel like, because like there's it's all there everyone's playing for the game like that's what i love about like the college football playoff march madness it's just different than pro sports you know for sure i mean uh i got a like a little taste this year uh with the reds i was on the taxi squad during the playoffs and so we were we were able to be with the team we were with the team in atlanta and uh i think there were five of us um that were there and so we got that experience and those two games, I know we, we, we didn't win one, but like those two games was the closest And this whole season, you know, in 2020 with only playing 60 games, every game felt like a playoff game. Cause you couldn't have a bad week. If you had a bad week, you were off the, you were out of the playoff hunt um, just in such a short season. But, you know, the college atmosphere during a playoff run or a conference tournament run or, whatever it may be is just so different. Um, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm so, still here. I got a, I had a phone call coming in. Uh, it's just You're a good. different, it's just a completely different environment and atmosphere. And the backing that the schools have is, is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, we played, so my uh, freshman year, we played the super, the regional and super regional to go to Omaha in at, at our home in you know, in Austin, um, my senior year, when we made the run, we had to play our regional in, uh, at Rice in Houston. And that was a hostile environment. You know, that regional had Texas A&M price us. And I believe, uh, George Washington, uh, university, which was the four seat, but that was, it was, it's cool to see how each school, their fan base travels. And how how passionate college fan bases really are. Um, I mean, you, like you said, you see it in the college football playoff or March Madness. How how like how college fans travel and um, in professional sports, you don't see that many people travel. You know, it's mostly just people from that city. They may be a fan of the visiting team, but it's mostly just people from that city going to the game or whatever the case. But just the, the passion and, and, you know, how everything kind of plays out in the college world during the playoffs is, is really cool. And, you know, for me to get to experience that this year with the Reds, um, you know, on the pro side was, I mean, the, the intensity was, was definitely just as close, if not, if not better um, than the college, you know, college playoff, but just, I mean, from a college from a college standpoint you're with those guys every single day with the exception of winter break you know you are with them every day in class study hall 
practice, you know, you live with them, you're constantly around people. Um, it just means so much because that's your, basically your family for four years, you know, three or four years, however long you're there. And I think that's what makes it so special. Yeah. And then going on about like, what's unique about the, the NBA, NHL and MLB is I have so many games and like the fans like to travel. That's what different with the NFL with there's only 16 games. That's when you see like the Steelers, the Cowboys, they will have traveling fan bases, but um, move, move into your minor league career here. Uh, obviously a very unorthodox path to the major leagues, five years in the minors, uh, rule, rule five draft, uh, draft pick situations, like going to the A's, going to the Reds, being in the Yankee system. And just like, what, like you obviously played for more in front of more fans in the minor league system than you did in the MLB, which is kind of (laughs) crazy for sure. But like, what's like one of some of your best stories in the minor leagues and like, how difficult is that minor league grind and that everyone says it is? It's, I mean, it's tough. Um, you know, I talk to people all the time about, you know, minor league lifestyle. Um, it's not all the glitz and glam like people think it may be or, or whatever the case. I mean, you're, you're packed into apartment rooms to save, you know, to save money. And, you know, um, most of my career, I had five roommates in the minor leagues you know, in a two bedroom place. And, you know, we would sleep on air mattresses. Um, you would, you know, it was, it was nice to go on the road because you would have a hotel bed. <laughs> like, so, but, uh, you know, the, you know, it, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime thing to you know, to get a chance to play professional baseball and, um, you know, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a blast, but I mean, there are some points where you're like, you know, you're on an eight hour bus ride and you're leaving after a, a seven o'clock game and you get into a city and the sun's coming up and you're like, man, I got to go to the park in seven hours. And I haven't even, I haven't been in a bed yet. And, you know, and, you know, and the food's not always great and whatever it may be, but man, like what an experience. And, uh, you know, very fortunate to have it. Um, you know, there's times in career, you're going to feel extremely lonely you know, you're around guys, you know, that are, that become really good friends. And I have some of my best friends were guys that I've played with in the minor leagues and, you know, we keep in touch and everything, but um, I mean, it's, it's lonely. Sometimes you take an 0 for four and you're driving home, you know, 0 for four or three strikeouts. And, you know, you see another outfielder get called up that, that, you know, to the next level the next day. And you're like, man, Maybe if I didn't go for four or three strikeouts yesterday, it could have been me or, you know, like you're just, you're waiting for opportunities that you can't control. You know, you could play as good as you want, but something's not there yet, you know, for you to move to the next level, whatever it may be. So there are some lonely times, but I mean, the amount of times I the, on the reverse side, going in, you know, seeing the world through baseball, seeing the country through baseball, you know, driving, you know, like I said, the eight hour bus rides or, the, the 6 a.m. flights or, you know, whatever it may be, going and seeing the country through that ways and and the, the in-between inning games that they put on with the fans that, that make you laugh or, you know, the whatever it may be. I mean, like walk-off hits or, you know, I've been a part of a lot of cool walk-offs. I've been part of a no-hitter. Um, so, like, there's things that, you know, that, that stick in your memory or, you know, like, hitting a grand slam or a two homer game 
or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, something that just sticks in your mind. Even as a young baseball player, you remember things and you're like, man, like baseball is an absolutely awesome game. And I think that's what keeps me going um, and kept me going in the minor leagues for so long was like, I love playing this thing and I don't want to give it up until somebody tells me like, Hey, you're done. Like you can't, nobody's going to pick you up anymore. Like it's it. Um, you know, but like for me that, that minor league grind as much of a grind as it is, it's, it's some of the best times you're going to have playing baseball just because you get to look back and you'd be like, man, I slept on an air mattress for four seasons and, and in no other and in no other profession in the sports world do you probably hear that and yeah, I mean, it's just cool I mean the only one I can hear is maybe in the NBA G League you do that but I think I don't even know then I don't know enough about the G League for that but I yes. want to talk about uh, your uh, 2019 season with the Las Vegas Aviators so you spent five years in the Yankee system you get rule five draft picked by the Oakland A's you're on the aviators triple a team you're in a new ballpark in the middle or you're in las vegas so there's a lot of distractions easily that could be there and you go on to have a career year hitting 30 homers 97 rbis batting 334 that's crazy and was it the change of scenery was it the new teammates new coaching was it the jacks batting gloves that just uh (laughs) elevate your career um i think a lot um you know sometimes you you need um in the game of baseball i love the yankees um they treated me really well they gave me a chance to get into professional baseball i'll never say anything bad um you know but sometimes you need a change of scenery to kind of get a spark going again not saying that i didn't have a spark with the yankees or i wasn't driven or anything and um you know i got when I got that opportunity to go over to Oakland, um, you know, I didn't take it lightly. I didn't, you know, my training didn't really change. Nothing really happened. I just, you know, I started realizing what pitchers were trying to do to get me out or trying to do to get our lineups out. Um, and you know, there's this thing, you know, and just growing as a hitter, um, instead of launching balls, trying to launch balls during BP and rounds three, four, and five, I didn't do that anymore. Um, kind of just maturing, just, Hey, let's barrel accuracy. You know, where's the swing at today? Instead of, okay, let's go the other way round one, let's go up the middle round two. And then, all right, home run derby for three, four, five, where not saying that's what I've always done, but I really took BP with a purpose. Um, and I think that, you know, instead of, you know, I'll go into analytics really quick, you know, for me hitting a ball at 30 degrees, launch angle and batting practice does me no good because in the game that turns to 35 degrees or 40, and that's just a a lazy fly out. Um, I kind of work the opposite way in BP. I wanted to have my angles around, you know, 12, 13, 14, maybe even down to eight. And, you know, for, for everybody listening, like an eight degree launch angle and batting practice would basically be a line drive right at an infielder. Um, just so people can kind of understand and, and 12 to 15 would probably be anywhere from a, a one hop to a line drive caught at an, at an outfielder. Um, just so people can kind of understand where, where I was kind of coming from. Um, so I started doing that and, and then, you know, there's this thing called confidence. Um, and I saw it from it in my own eyes what it happened in other people's career. They get a little, they get a little bit of it. And then they just take off. 
And I'm like, you know, is this ever going to happen to me? Am I ever going to get this confidence that these guys have where, you know, they're just, they're, they're really good players, but they've never really taken off. And I saw it with the Yankees with a couple guys and you're like, man, is, am I ever going to get this thing where I could ride this wave for a season? Um, and it's as crazy as it sounds, you know, like this confidence thing, I went to the park in 2019, knowing I was going to hit two or three balls hard every day. I knew at some point that two balls were going to come out at least two at bats. I was going to hit the ball hard. Now, whether those were hits or outs, I don't know, but knowing going to the park that you're going to put the barrel on the ball at least twice in a game, it, it changes the dynamic of your at bats and changes the dynamic of how you think and, this, this wave of confidence completely changed. And I, and I've realized that we're about halfway through the season. I'm like, man, I know I'm gonna hit the ball hard today a couple of times where it's like, Hey, I hope I get a hit. And then I hope I get another one. It's like, no, like whatever happens happens, but I know I'm gonna hit the ball hard a couple of times today, at least a couple of times where I think in the past, you know, earlier in my career, it was like, Hey, let's try to get one hit and then let's go for two. And then let's go for three. Instead of being like, you know what, just go hit the ball hard. Like I knew I was going to hit the ball hard, you know, when earlier in my career, I was almost chasing hits where I think that, you know, those, those three things, I think really kind of changed that 2019 season. Yeah. I mean, you're a different approach. Batting practice reminds me of Charlie Blackman's approach back in 2018, the Rockies are at Wrigley field. I always go early for batting practice. I'm, I'm trying to catch balls in the bleachers out at Wrigley or get autographs for the game. But, I was watching Charlie Blackman take BP and obviously as a fan, I'm bummed that he's not launching balls in the stands like Nolan Arenado was. And like, mm-hmm. I think cargo was on that team, oh, yeah. but Blackman every time he would not hit a ball right of the center field, like net behind second base. He would not mm-hmm. invisibly when everything was oppo, everything was left center gap. And it was pretty impressive to watch. Like he would everything, the pitch would be high, low, and that's just like the mentality I believe that you were talking about. Or just yes. changing it, uh, just sticking to the fundamentals. Yeah, and I think you know, like like you said, as a fan of the game, you know, I was the same way. I used to go watch batting practice whenever my dad or mom would take me and get tickets and we'd go to a White Sox or a Cubs game, whatever it may be. I'm like, I'm going early for batting practice because I want to go catch four home run balls during BP, and you know, so it's not a very like when you watch somebody take a batting practice like that um, and now everybody's got their own routines, everybody's got their own BP, you know, and at some point, at some point, yeah, I think it's fine to turn on a ball and see if, you, you know, just it, it's in the back pocket, basically you turn on and hit a homer and BP. You're like, all right, well, I got it. You know, it gets there today. You don't need to take four rounds of home run derby or whatever the case. And I think that's what you're talking about. Charlie Blackman, you know, like people that understand the game of baseball kind of realize like, Hey, he's doing something to get him ready to play a game to take four or five at bats at seven o'clock. He's not, he's not doing this for the, you know, he's doing, he's taking his BP for him and for his team and, you know, for the, so that he's ready to play in a game instead of, all right, let's see what I can do in BP to make me feel good, but it does me no good in the game. Um, yeah, and I, I think your teammate Joey Votto also does this perfectly because I mean, I have never seen him hit BP before, but I was watching MLB Network, and I think he was talking with former Red Sean Casey about his approach during the game. And they're talking about one game he went 0 for 5, but he's happy with his performance because he squared up five balls 
mm-hmm. and they were all outs, but he was still happy with his performance. And I think that goes with Yogi Bear's quote that baseball is 90% mental, like 0 for 5. Obviously, that doesn't look good at the box score, but the box score doesn't tell everything. Right. And I think that's a huge thing for MLB players or baseball players in general. Yes, there's a thing, like I said, the, the confidence, like everybody wants to get hits. Everybody wants to hit 300. Everybody's chasing these numbers. But we can't, like I said, we can't control what the defense is doing or, you know, like let's use this as a, as a quick example. If I line out to the center fielder and I hit it, you know, hundred, say I hit it hundred miles an hour exit velocity. I'm like, darn, I wish that would have been a hit, but like I have, I should, I should have as much confidence as if I would have just hit a double in the gap because you just squared up a really good pitcher. You barreled it up, you hit it hard. You can't do anything about it. And now you know, like guys get frustrated because, you know, they hit a ball hard into the shift or you can't control that. Like as baseball players, we, we can't, you just go up there, try to hit the ball hard and, and try not to chase numbers. And I know that's extremely tough because you have to have numbers to move up in this game. But the more I'm around it, what I realize is a 300 hitter is going to hit 300, a 280 hitter is going to hit 280. You know, a 270 is going to hit 270. A 220 is going to hit 220. A guy that hits 30 homers a year is going to hit around 30 homers every year. That's just the way the game of baseball is. They're all, it's all, it all evens out at some point. It stinks at the time when you take an 0 for 5 with five lineouts. But you should have confidence because your swing's where it needs to be. Yeah. And then I'm going to shift over uh, once again, uh, talk about uh, your USA uh, Premier 12, uh, how, I mean, how amazing is it to represent the country to go play? I believe you guys play in Tokyo. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, obviously a once in a lifetime thing. And, you know, hopefully one day um, I get a chance to represent the country again, um, maybe in the Olympics or World or Baseball whatever. Classic. Yeah, well, you know, it was, uh, it's different, you know, putting USA across your chest, uh, hearing the national anthem with USA across your chest is a, is a different feeling, um, knowing that you are representing the country puts, you know, puts a pretty big heavy burden on your shoulders. But um, I mean, man, we, you know, we came up a little short, but uh, what an experience, Um, you know, get, like I said, getting to see, you know, the world through baseball. We started in Mexico, um, you know, we played three games in Mexico against uh, the Netherlands, the Dominican Republic and Mexico. We made it out of that round. We went directly from Mexico to Japan uh, went to Tokyo and we played against South Korea. We played against Japan, played against uh, Taiwan. We played against uh, Mexico again, played against Australia. Um, and the styles of baseball from country to country varies a lot. Um, so understanding, you know, and you could take things from that, you know, Japan and, you know, the Asian countries, Japan, South Korea and, and Taiwan are very good at small ball, very good at putting the ball in play. They don't strike out much. They're very fundamentally sound. Um, you know, Australia, very, same type of game. I mean, they don't they they played us tough. Um, Mexico, you know, they had some power in there, and you know, so you just see the way baseball's played throughout the world. Um, but I'll never forget playing against Japan in the Tokyo Dome, and you know how their fans uh, basically sing the whole game. And I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, just the energy in the stadium um, while we were playing them. And, you know, I, I guess it's like that during their normal season, during their uh, NPB uh, 
season, it's, you know, their fans sing, their fans travel and they sing for them their, the whole game. Um, and they really, really, really care about baseball. Um, the one thing I really remember, I went and made a diving catch in left center and uh, their fans actually against Japan and their fans actually cheered for me where I feel like if we do that here on the road, we're getting booed. Oh yeah. So, definitely like Yankee stadium or yeah. Uh, you'd so probably get cool. booed at Wrigley. Oh, we would definitely get booed, <laughs> but uh, you know, they, they respect the game of baseball and they respect good, good, good plays and, you know, home runs, whether they, you know, Japan were to hit them or we hit them or we had a strikeout or they struck us out. Um, the fans were very, they were just happy to watch baseball and they, and they respected the game. Yeah. And you guys are a very talented team. I'm, a bunch of guys have made it to the MLB. Obviously Joe Adele, who was like the top prospect, Alec Baum for the Phillies, Jake Cronenworth, Bobby Dalbick, just a bunch of guys, Eric Kratz, a career long catcher, mm-hmm. just a very talented team. Oh man, we had, I mean, and that was, what was cool is, um, I had never really played with any of those guys, maybe a couple of them, you know, and we, I knew who everybody was, you know, everybody knew who everybody was, but just getting a chance to play with those guys and, and, you know, all of us pick each other's brains and, you know, really come together really quickly. We basically practiced for two weeks before, you know, as a team, before we left for the tournament, um, and how quickly we came together and, uh, you know, the, the bond we, you know, we shared while we played together and how we all keep in touch um, to this day, you know, basically over a year, for, you know, it's been over a year now. And, um, but man, what, what an experience. And 2020 off season, you're with the A's, you get rule five picked with the Cincinnati Reds, which for those who listening don't know the rule five, it's, it's a kind of a wacky draft. Like you, uh, if you make the team, you're on the team when you're drafted. If you make the team, you're on the 25 man or the 26 man now the whole year, unless you're injured. And if you aren't, you get uh, offered back to uh, the team that had you originally at the A. So you got picked for the Reds and going into spring training, you're, you're, you're battling for a spot. I mean, you had a bunch of guys. I mean, Cincinnati loaded outfield that one of the best in the leagues, obviously up there with the Yankees, Rays, Dodgers, I would say. You got Castellanos, uh, Shogo, Jesse Winker, Aquino, just a bunch of guys, and yourself, obviously. And then back then, you had Travis Janikowski, a speedster. And it was yeah. between I, – I thought it was between you and Travis for that last last spot, that 26 spot. Or was it like 28 guys start the season? Yeah, it was 28. Well, they didn't know. Um, the Like the first spring training was 26. Um and then when we stopped for the, you know, the, the pandemic and we took the two and a half months off and started, then they put it out to 28 when we started the second spring training in, uh, in July. Yeah. So going into that spring train, I, I pretty much want to know, like, what was going through your mind? Like you're battling for your livelihood, you're battling for a job and they cancel off spring training and like, was like a Wednesday. Yeah. We were, and we were, we were basically seven days away from spring training being done. We were basically, you know, eight, I think we were nine days away from opening day. Um, every day that, you know, that got checked off the calendar where I didn't get sent back to Oakland. Uh, obviously, t- for me, was a great day. And I was a closer, you know, one day closer to reaching, you know, my childhood dream of playing in the big leagues. And uh, we get shut down. And, you know, basically for three months, my head was spinning. You know, like you just you're like, man, I, we were so close from having an answer from this thing, either going, you know, not saying going back to Oakland was a bad thing, but, you know, like I said, from reaching a childhood dream, I was basically seven days away from knowing my fate of something I worked my whole life for 
and getting shut down and, and not knowing when we were getting sent, you know, started back up was just like, man, is this, are we going to play this year? Are we not going to play, you know, what's going to happen? Are, are they going to have, you know, is it going to be expanded rosters? Are they going to carry extra outfielders? Are they going to carry, what are they, you know, what's every team going to do? Are they going to carry extra pitchers with those spots? Um, you know, so my head was spinning and, you know, the Reds, they, they were great. They kept in contact the whole time. Um, obviously we were shut down. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't go into the complex. I stayed out in Arizona. Everything was shut down just like everybody knows. And, you know, I would go out to an open empty park with a bunch of grass and play catch with one guy and do some running stuff and had a TRX band. And I mean, that was to the extent that we, we had to basically make up our own workouts to try to stay ready for, um, you know, at the time we didn't know when we were going to start again, but, uh, you know, so that's what I did for three months and then, you know, headed head back this way when we found out spring training was going to be at the big league stadium um, for spring training too. you know, got out of Arizona and went to Cincinnati and, uh, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, I was basically starting from ground zero again. Um, at the time, I felt like I was in a good spot. They had just increased the rosters to 30 for the first two weeks and then down to 28. Um, so I felt good. Um you know, I, I probably put too much pressure on myself still, um, in that spring training to make the team. Um, and as you know, pressure in baseball is never a good thing, especially when you're putting it on yourself. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I was worried about the outcome of what was going to happen in, you know, three weeks down the road, um, instead of maybe a two, one pitch, you know, uh, you know, I know that's on, that's on a big scale. Um, you know, but it was all I thought about just fulfilling a childhood dream um, instead of going every day um, just ready to compete. Um, I was worried about what was going to happen when the rosters came out um, and same type of thing, you know, as every day got went off, I checked it off the calendar and I was still a red. Um, we were four days away from camp being done. Um, and they just, you know, they, they, they brought me into the manager's office and, told me like, Hey, uh, you know, we, we want to keep you and everything. We're going to put you on waivers and, and send you back to Oakland just because, uh, we don't know if we can keep you on the roster, you know, for the whole season. Um, and being a row five, that's one of the downfalls is you have to be on the roster day one till the season ends. Um, and they knew, you know, as every team knew this year, uh, it was going to be a playoff type atmosphere every single night during 60 game season. Um, and every roster spot is, is extremely, extremely valuable, um, especially with the way the Reds play. And, you know, they use every position player almost every night with pinch hitting or pinch running or defensive replacement. Um, especially with Michael Lorenzen being able to play yeah. the outfield too. Right. And, you know, we had tons of guys and um, so they were great. And they tried, they tried keeping me uh, after waivers. Um, they couldn't make a deal originally with Oakland. They couldn't make a trade deal originally. So what happened was, is I went from Cincinnati to the alternate training site in Oakland It spent, uh, I believe 12 days out there or going back to Cincinnati. And I get a phone call after, after a practice, um, after an alternate site day with Oakland, um, from their general manager and said, Hey, stay by your phone. Um, I think we're sending you back to Oakland or I'm sorry, we're sending you back to Cincinnati. And I'm like, well, all right, you know what, let's see what happens. You know, let's see if this is real. Anyways, like 10 minutes later, Cincinnati's GM calls me again and says, Mark, we got you back. Great. You know, 
wish we could have done this 12 days ago. Um, so went back, you know, flew out of Oakland the next morning, right back to Cincinnati, um, went to the alternate site. Well, actually I had, I had to sit out for two days because of COVID protocols, just make sure I, I wasn't, I didn't have a positive test. I had to have two negative tests. So I was sitting around in my apartment still in, in Cincinnati waiting, um, passed both of them, went to the alternate training site in Cincinnati for five days. Um, and then the team went on actually, uh, the big league team, it was going on a, I believe at the time was a 12 day road trip between Kansas city, St. Louis and Milwaukee. Um, and they, you know, they hadn't announced the taxi squad yet. Um, and I'm on my way home once again, after an alternate training site and get a call from the guy that was running the alternate training site in Cincinnati and says, Hey, you're going to go on the taxi squad this week, come back and grab all your stuff. Um, you know, you leave, you'll go to the, you'll go to the great American ballpark, watch the game there. And then you'll get on the flight with the team and, and basically be part of the team, but on the taxi squad. Um, so we go to Kansas city that night, the next morning, wake up, uh, the game actually gets canceled due to COVID stuff. So I'm like, all right, well, my first day that was supposed to be in a visiting ball, visiting big league ballpark gets canceled due to just, uh, some COVID issues. Um, so they schedule a double header for the next day and, uh, those games happen, but it was really cool. Just getting to take, you know, BP on a big league stadium, kind of go through a full big league day, even though I wasn't on the team, I was just traveling, um, was, was pretty surreal, you know, just getting to go through, like I said, go through a big league day. You're at a big league hotel, have, you know, very nice breakfast, very nice lunch, all the, all the stuff that you hear about and how, you know, major league baseball players get treated, um, was really cool. And, you know, just even being in a visiting locker room was, it's a little bit different than the minor league visiting, you know, <laughs> visiting locker room, but um, yeah, so we get through there and that was kind of my story. And then, you know, we go to St. Louis, um, nothing, same thing, go through a day for first game and go sit in the stands and watch it go through the day and day two in St. Louis um, and watch the game in the stands day three. I'm actually talking to one of my friends in the lobby waiting on the bus. And then, you know, I see one of, you know, one of my other buddies come down and he says, Hey, I said, where are you going with your suitcase? It's like, oh, I got sent down, blah, blah, blah. I'm not thinking of anything. And I get to the park and I hear my name uh, from the, you know, David Bell, our manager. And I'm like, damn, he's going to, he's sending me back to like, you know, I wasn't thinking anything. I wasn't on the 40 man roster. I'm like, well, there's, you know, like he's just sending me back. They're going to get another pitcher out here on the taxi squad, just in case. Um, he says, Hey man, congratulations. You're a big leaguer. And to me, that was the coolest thing um, ever. Cause I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, I had no thoughts of it whatsoever. And like, it kind of, it just hit me as a shock. Um, I went and just kind of soaked it in, went and sat in the stands for, probably 20 minutes by myself and just like thought about, you know, you have a lot of thoughts racing through your mind. Um, finally called my girlfriend, Amber called my family. Um, it was very emotional, but at the end of the day, I had to get ready to play a game in four hours. So, so I, you know, I, you know, and that was really the first game all season that I, you know, at this time we're probably 30 games into the season The you know, major league baseball is probably 30 games in. And this was basically my opening day. I hadn't been, 
you know, alternate at the alternate training site, whether it be Oakland or Cincinnati, you're playing four innings max, you know, most games were two and a half, you know, three innings just because of, they just don't have the amount of pitching. I mean, at the alternate training site. So for me, it was like my opening day game, you know, 32 or whatever it might've been. And, uh, you know, I just, it was, it was surreal. And, um, I mean, something I'll never, never, ever forget. I mean, unfortunately, I think what sucked for you is that your girlfriend, your parents, your friends, close friends, family couldn't be in the stands to watch you make your debut. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, it stinks. Um, I wish everybody was there. Um, I'm happy, you know, everybody that, you know, I'm very thankful for everybody that reached out to me. Um, I got tons of pictures of people watching games, people buying the MLB subscription on their app just to watch. Um, it was really cool. Um, me ordering then, a jersey. <laughs> yeah, you know, people, you know, like you ordering a jersey. I mean, it just to see how everything kind of plays out is, is very surreal. And, you know, I'm just very grateful for the amount of support um, that I've had and, and support I didn't know I had even through the minor leagues and people following my career and uh, whatever it may be. It's just, it's very surreal. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm very grateful. I mean, yeah. First of all, I mean, playing in front of no fans, totally different atmosphere. I mean, you can you could hear what everyone was saying on the TV telecast. I mean, it was pretty fun to watch guys like your teammate Trevor Bauer after a big strikeout or oh, yeah. some just Trevor Bauer, probably one of the best uh, players to watch in baseball. I mean, he's, he was the best pitcher in the National League this year when the Cy Young. And did you actually ever uh, participate in any of those like desert uh, bullpen sessions? You did? No, I wish I would have. I didn't know that they were really going on. Um, I wish I would have though, cause that would have been pretty cool. You know, and I watched those videos after, um, you know, once he posted them and after I knew what was going on, but man, what a great teammate. Um, the guy, you know, the way he prepares his body and mind for every start um, is, it's actually really, really cool to see and the amount of work that he puts into obviously, I mean, he saw it this year being, like you said, the Cy Young um, guy deserves it. I mean, his training regiment, his, his knowledge of other hitters, the way he studies the game. Um, I think, you know, he's three, four years ahead of everybody else in the baseball world. Um, just between like a sports science baseball world. Um, you know, and I, it, I've taken things from him and, and other guys that have been, you know, that I was around with the reds that, uh, that I've put in the back of my mind. Um, but man, Trevor's, uh, He's one of a kind and, uh, you know, very fortunate to be one of the, you know, his teammates this past season. I mean, obviously Trevor is not going anywhere, uh, like out of the games anytime soon, but Trevor with his personality, he would be, he'd be perfect for barstool sports. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I feel like him and him and Portno, I mean, he's already been on like Pat McAfee's show. He's a, he's been a guest on there a couple of times. He's just an awesome personality. I think probably the best personality in the game of baseball right now. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like I said, he understands it. Um, he really knows how to communicate with fans. Um, and I think baseball is missing that a little bit. Um, oh, I'd agree with you hundred percent on that one. Compared to other sports. And, uh, you know, he does a great job with the vlogs and um, the way he, you know, talks to people through Twitter. Um, it's, it's really cool to see, uh, you know, basically a guy, you know, who won the Cy Young this year. He basically videoed, 
everything his whole, he did, his whole everything he did from the time he woke up to what he had for breakfast and everything so that the fans can see and i think that was really cool for for fans that did follow that um that was it was really cool with what he did i mean obviously trevor one of the best i mean he's had his run-ins with the commissioner i mean he's got some awesome cleats collection i mean just by far one of the best uh guys and i want to talk about uh you actually recorded a hit off the guy who finished second in the Cy Young voting, you Darvish, who one of the best pitchers in the game right now, uh, one of the best pitchers on the Cubs. I'd say either him or Kyle Hendricks would be up for that. But does your like approach change when you you're facing like a big dog like that, like one of the best pitchers in the game? Does your approach to the play on deck does it change at all? Yeah, I think well from every pitcher it varies. Um, you just kind of got to know, like I said, what what his best stuff does. So for me, like you, for against you, it's, it's, you know, like he's uh, throws a ton of cutters, you know, he's got 98 in his back pocket whenever he wants it. He's got a slow, he's got three different curve balls or sliders, whatever you want to call them. He's got um, some awesome hair. He's got, some great, <laughs> he's got a good, yeah. I mean, um, you know, but it, like for me, it's, uh, you know, especially this year and just getting, you know, a taste of, of major league pitching. It's like, um, you can hit these guys, you know, but you got to understand to hit these guys, you have to understand what they're doing, what, what their, what their favorite things to go do are like, how's you Darvish going to get me out. And when I understand how you Darvish can get me out, then I can create an approach. You know, and that approach is going to be different when Craig Kimbrell comes in the game or Ryan Tapera was in the game or, you know, whoever, whoever it might have been that I had at bats off of against the Cubs. I think, you know, with the amount of the amount of information that we have on each pitcher and what their ball does when they throw it or what pitches they like to throw in certain counts or, um, you know, how you Darvish gets left handed hitters out. Um, and you start realizing how they're, you know, what's going on. And then that you create an approach and you see how, you know, maybe you're not throwing his fastball that much today. So I can just eliminate his fastball or he's not throwing his curveball for a strike or whatever it may be. You try to eliminate um, certain, certain things and get it out of your head. So your head's not cluttered. Um, you know, for me that day, you attacked me with a ton of cutters, a ton of cutters. Um, you know, but I have to respect, like I said, that he's got 98 in his arm whenever he wants it. And now I was lucky. I didn't see that. I didn't, he didn't throw me, he didn't throw me a, a straight forcing fastball. And I don't know if I had two or three at bats off him, but basically all cutters and, and different shapes and speeds of curveballs. So, um, you know, it's, it's all a learning process. Um, you know, so next time I face him, you know, pay attention, depending on when I'm hitting in the order, I'll be paying attention to guys in his previous start, how he got left-handed hitters out, how he's getting our left-handed hitters out or what he's doing to try to get out um, and try to just base an approach around that. Yeah. And then I want to talk about your first major, major league career hit. Uh, you're in Miller park or now called American family ballpark, which I think is a terrible name. <laughs> I thought Miller park was perfect for the brewers. It's Wisconsin. Okay beer i mean the colors are like the brewers colors for sure but yeah you're there i believe uh was adrian was adrian hauser pitching um i i got well i got a hit off him but i got it my first one was off of brandon woodruff yeah brandon woodruff who's a great pitcher and when I, i'm watching when i'm watching the highlight like the announcers are obviously like 
they're thinking the ball's gone. Like it was absolute rocked. I don't know what Freddie Galvis was doing. He should have scored on that one. <laughs> but uh, well, just like what what was going through your mind before that at bat, and when you're standing on second base and David Bell's holding your ball in the air? Yeah, no. So that obviously very cool for um, you know, the whole dugout to see the whole dugout uh, when you know I got the hit and I looked in there, um, just to see everybody kind of clap in and the ball getting held up and uh, very surreal and and shows that. You know, I had teammates that really cared um, not just about themselves, but they care about other people and they care about other people succeeding in the game. And and they wanted to win just as bad. And at the end of the day, um, whether it's day one in the big leagues or day, you know, 10 years, whatever, you know, it's it's about winning that that nine inning game. Um, so I was around a, a bunch of good teammates and and see them all up on the railing. Clapping was uh, was really cool. And but, uh, you know, I it took me, I think that was my fourth at bat. So, you know, I had a pinch hit in the day I got called up, you know, I got two at bats the next day. And then, uh, so it was my fifth at bat. So I was over four actually between three games before getting that hit. Um, and like I said, just try to create a good approach against Woodruff who throws a, a lot of fastballs up in the zone. Um, and he's got a pretty good 12, six curve ball off of it. Um, throws a change up occasionally, um, if I remember right, but like I said, you know, just squaring it up and, and I felt good off the bat, um, thought I had a chance of going. Um, I always tell myself, like, I'm not big enough to hit the ball out the center. I got to use the shortcuts down the line, but, um, man, just, you know, seeing the ball, you know, find, you know, hit the wall or, you know, just letting it hit the ground and like nobody else catching it and knowing you have it under your belt and, uh, it just feels good, you know, felt good to get it out of the way and, um, you know, and you're just like, you're happy. The first one's out. Now you can just relax and play baseball. Um, and I think that's, you know, I heard that is as soon as you get the first one out of the way, everything kind of slows down a little bit. Um, not saying the game was super sped up, but, um, you know, the heart's racing and it was racing, you know, every game I played in as a big leaguer, um, hopefully it'll slow down at some point. Uh, I know it'll slow down, but hopefully sooner than later. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, and I got a couple of questions to you about uh, your uniform number here because yeah. uh, uh, I've seen Chicago. 34 is a big number. Walter Payton, sure. Kerry Wood, John Lester, 34 is a big number. So, I don't know. Uh, did you pick 34? Like, was that, was that your number of uh, – was that your first choice? No, it was actually – so, we have uh, – our clubhouse guy gave me that number. Um, who was actually big Walter Payton fan. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's funny because the red C is the same C as the bears, you know, just obviously just different colors, but um, yeah. So no, he, uh, our, the clubhouse manager gave me that number. He was calling me sweetness in the locker room and, That's awesome. and all, this, all this stuff. So it was pretty cool. I was, uh, you know, originally when, like I said, when I got rule fived over there, um, you don't really get a choice of your number. And, you know, when you're a minor leaguer that's got no big league time, usually have a pretty high number in spring training. Yeah, like um, 70s. 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, so for me it was like as long as he gives me a number under 60, I don't care what it is. I'm just going to be happy, you know, that I have a big league number. And, uh, you know, 34, I, it's a low number. You get respected from people for having a lower number. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was cool. 
to wear to wear 34 you know just to have any number um on a big league jersey is very special but i mean just have uh, your name on the back yeah so like that was cool um that he that he put the two and two together um you know we joke around about it but you know being from chicago and and i know i know that uh that number carries a lot of weight um in the city of chicago um you know especially with peyton on the back and um hopefully it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings and in Walter's family that, that I'm, you know, wearing that number right now, but, uh, the same last name. Yeah. So it's just kind of crazy, but, um, very cool. Very, yeah, very cool. That's very cool. Yeah. And then uh, I don't want to keep you much longer, but I have a couple more questions. Uh, how are you preparing for the 2021 season in this off season where a vaccine's coming out? Like we're still sort of in a pandemic, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, just taking it just like any other off season. Um, this year I have a little bit more information, um, on, you know, kind of after playing in the big leagues and the amount of information we got there, just how pitchers in the big leagues are succeeding. And for me, um, I'm doing a lot of the same things for my body, maybe eating a little, even a little cleaner than I usually do. Um, just to try, you know, decrease inflammation and, and make sure my body can recover at a good pace. Um, nothing different with my throwing. Um, everything's kind of the same there, obviously trying to get as strong and as fast as possible. Um, but you know, for me, it's, it's about hitting and to play in the big leagues, you got to hit. Um, like I'm not going to, you know, I'll, I'll never steal 30 bases in a year. So I'll never be a speed guy or, you know, not going to throw out 35 runners and I'm not going to have 35 outfield assists, you know, or whatever the case, I'm not going to rob a ton of homers. So for me, it's like, I got to hit to play in the big leagues and do the little things right. And um, I'm not going to make any swing adjustments, but for me watching and, and kind of just being a student of the game, um, the amount of high fastballs and high cutters, and then a little bit sharper of a curveball. So for me, um, the, the more I can see that and the more I can, learn how to hit those pitches, whether it be off a machine or be off of a, uh, a BP pitcher that's just closer to me to try to basically emulate uh, some type of game atmosphere. Um, that's what I've been doing um, because I know, like, I mean, the game of baseball right now is fastballs up and it's a very tough pitch to hit. Um, you see guys all the time right now on a 2-0 hitters count, they're swinging through it. They're swinging and missing at a 2-0 fastball at the top of the zone. It's a very, very tough pitch to hit. Um, Javi Baez, especially. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of guys, man. It's, it's, Chris it's Bryant, crazy, for sure. It's a crazy amount of guys, and that's where pitchers are throwing fastballs now. So, And that's different than three years ago. And, you know, me just watching these guys pitch and the really good pitchers, and um, I just want to match that. You know, my goal is not to beat that. I don't want to, I don't want to create a swing. I mean, it would be great, but it's, you can't. So for me to just try to match that and, and understand how to hit that pitch and those pitches without, without changing my swing um, is basically what I put my focus on this off season. All right. Yeah. That uh, we've had a pretty serious uh, podcast right now, but I'm going to ask you uh, kind of like a funny question. It'll probably make you laugh. Yeah. Would you rather take a fastball to the ribs from Trevor Bauer or get punched from Amir Garrett? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Neither. <laughs> Neither. Um, no, I mean, obviously both great guys. I don't know how to answer that. Oh, man. Personally, <laughs> uh, I think, I think uh, Garrett I think could a, go and beat Floyd Mayweather in a fight. Yeah, he looked nasty I, versus the, I, versus the, the pirates. pirates. Yeah. I think, I mean, a f- – 
You said punched in the face or the ribs? I just punched anywhere, really. Just I just said just get punched. I don't know. I don't know if I want 96 to 97 <laughs> off of the ribs or an extremely strong human to punch me in the ribs. <laughs> I think I'm probably going to go fastball off the That's ribs. That's what I would have taken. Just, just because I think that'll heal a little bit quicker. Uh, Trevor, I hope you're not listening to that <laughs> because I don't want to take a fastball off the ribs. But I mean, uh, Trevor I signs somewhere outside Cincinnati in the first pitch you, yeah, you face I him. <laughs> I don't need that. But no, I, I um, obviously both great teammates though. And uh, I just think a baseball might hurt a little bit less than a fist. <laughs> yeah. As funny as that is. And then last question. Uh, who would you say is your favorite player currently in the MLB? Like, who do you look up to? Who do you think is, like, the best of the best? I mean, obviously you have your Mike Trouts, your, Acuna, your Ronald Acuna Juniors, Cody Bellinger's Mookie Betts. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you take those guys out, I mean, obviously the amount of, you know, how electric Mookie is as a player um, is just so fun to watch because he does it. He could, you know, I mean, he can literally take over a game between whether it's stealing, like, you don't see many guys do what he can do, whether it's a homer or a single that turns into a double or a bunt or throwing a guy out or making an acrobatic play or going first to third on a base hit to center field. But um, I've been watching, like I, I, I enjoy watching Michael Brantley play. Um, I love watching DJ LeMahieu hit. Yeah, DJ LeMahieu. I mean, it's... Uh, he was once a Cub, and that was one of the worst <laughs> trades in Cubs history. Um, you know, so for me, man, favorite player, I mean, it might be, I mean, I don't know. Tatis is so good too. And I like how electric he is. He's just like Bauer, just emotions, just just, as they rule his game. They, yeah, he's just playing like a kid, you know? And and for me, I think, especially to get fans back involved in in a younger, not saying, not saying anything about our fan base, but just get a, like the younger generation of baseball fans back into the game. Yeah, I think. for sure. I would say millennials and uh, people of Gen Z, like myself, love Tatis, love Trevor Bauer, but yes. obviously the older fans, like my dad per se, uh, not a big fan of them. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, no, I would probably say right now, I mean, because I'm a huge offensive guy. I mean, just I love watching Michael Brantley hit um, and DJ LeMahieu hit. But I think if overall, if I had to watch one guy every single day, it would probably be Mookie, without yeah. a doubt. I love his swing. I'm trying to uh, resemble my swing to his. Like mm-hmm. the minute his foot hits the ground, he's going. His swing is starting. Yes. Yes. That's 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 what I'm trying to work on right now in this off season, getting ready for uh, my junior high school season. So, yeah, and I've seen, I didn't have a sophomore high school season, so. They get and, to make that big jump now. Yeah, I mean, I I, had, I did pretty well freshman year. I, I batted over 500 in freshman ball, which I'll take it. That's good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, obviously, but yeah, going back, sorry, that, that's Tatis and Bauer, younger fans love them. That's why that's why the NFL and NBA is so popular, because guys play with emotion. Mm-hmm. But, like, these older guys, like my dad, I'm saying, like, they don't like it because they're not playing the game how they think it's supposed to be played. Yeah, the traditionalist. I think there's got to be a um, – for me, there's, uh, like, got to be a little bit of a mixture. There's got to be – baseball's got to be played with emotion. I, 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 I mean, I firmly believe that because when there's emotion in the game, you get the best – you get the most out of players. Um, you know, but, like, the, the unwritten rules – 
Um, I'm still more of a baseball traditionalist in that sense. So uh, like uh, Wilson Contreras, when he hit that bat flip to the moon, which I thought was awesome. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think there's like, there's gotta be a line. I think there's gotta be some type of line. I think, um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of things out there. You know, you had the Tatis grand slam on a three Oh count up by four and, you know, late in the game, like, um, you know, people are, you're either on that side or against that side. You know, there's, there's teams that, you know, shift, right. Everybody's shifting in baseball. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, you know, um, it's not, is it okay to bunt when you're up by five and the shift is on, you know, like there's that there's, you, you don't know, like, you know, I every, definitely say you cannot bunt with a no hitter. Right. I agree. You know, but like pitchers, you know, you get the, and then on the other reverse side, you have, you know, late in the game up by three or four and you have a team gets a base hit. The first baseman doesn't hold the runner on the guy. The guy steals second gets a, you know, a, um, defensive indifference. He doesn't get a stolen base, but now they're now a next guy gets a hit or whatever the case and they score a run that run goes on the pitcher. You know, yeah. but we weren't even care. You know, the team wasn't cared about the the runner, and you know, so like, there's some things in baseball I think that, um, and then people get upset about them stealing a base. Well, you just gave the guy an RBI, but you also gave the pitcher an earned run. So there's a lot of stuff in baseball I think um, that these unwritten rules, um, they just they just need to be talked about and there either needs to be a new set of them or whatever the case. But at the end of the day, I do think the game needs to be played with emotion because I think fans feed off of that. Um, you know, you watch these European soccer leagues and their fan bases, or you watch Japanese or Korean baseball and you see their fan bases. Um, you know, you see even, even, you know, American football and their fan bases, even with 16,000 people in the stands, it's loud. Um, you know, baseball doesn't need to be a quiet event. I don't think, I think the more people can get the fans involved um, and the more we can, you know, put on a good product and a good show for, for people that are paying to come watch us play a game. Um, I think fans would, would enjoy that. Oh, I think they would too. And I'm going to, I'm going to wrap the show up here. Uh, thanks Mark for uh, coming on the show today. Uh, and uh, I got to get out to Cincinnati and get this Jersey signed. Absolutely, man. Come on yeah, out whenever. Yeah. I'm, I'd definitely come out to Cincinnati for a game. I was, I was looking forward to that this year. I had a calendar. It was like the first weekend in June. I'm right out of school. Mm-hmm. Cubs were in Cincinnati. I'm like, I'm a go that weekend. I'm like, of <laughs> course, COVID and everything. So hopefully fans will be allowed back yes. in this year. And I'm looking forward to the season. Hopefully it start it starts on time because I'm seeing all this stuff like it might get pushed back to May. I hope it doesn't. I mean, based on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball schedule, it looks like it's not, but that can always change. But Mark, thanks for come thanks for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. I had an absolute blast. All right. Uh this has been episode thirty of Zoomer Sports Radio. Uh thanks to Mark and thank you for listening. Make sure you check out Zoomer Sports on TikTok, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.